Welcome to the Ignatius Press Podcast. I'm Mark Brumley. I hope you enjoy the discussion in this episode. For more information about Ignatius Press, check out our website at ignatius.com. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to this Ignatius Press interview with uh, Paul Sens, the author of Fatima, 100 Questions and Answers about the Marian Apparitions. Um, so Paul is the author of this new book from Ignatius Press. Uh, by the way, I'm Thomas Jacoby. I'm an editor at Ignatius Press in San Francisco. I'm here at the offices, fortunately. I'm able to, glad I'm able to work from here. Um, so Paul is a frequent contributor to periodicals like Catholic World Report, National Catholic Register, Catholic Herald, uh, Our Sunday Visitor Newsweekly, Catholic Answers Magazine, as well as a Catholic News Service. Um, he has an MA in pastoral ministry from the University of Portland, and he lives in Oregon with his wife and children. So welcome, Paul. Thanks for having me. Um, so, Paul, your book, uh, it's exactly, I think, what the title says it is. It's a series of 100 questions and answers uh, about the Marian apparitions at Fatima. Um, and they, yeah. they range really from history, spirituality, to theology, even to canon law, which uh, is kind of amazing that you're able to pull that off. And I'd say it's for skeptics and the devoted uh, alike. You know, it's I think it's addressed yeah. to a very broad audience. Um, so Dr. Edward Sri, who wrote the foreword, very good foreword to this book, um, yeah. says that the book can also, uh, in some, it was sort of prompted, and partially at least, by the uh, the new feature film Fatima, uh, which will be released through Picture House in theaters and on demand on August 28th, so in just a few weeks here. Yeah. Um, and so my first question for you, it seems there's kind of a Fatima moment right now. Um, so my question is very quickly. Why Fatima? So what are some of the ways that the apparitions of the Blessed Mother at Fatima changed history? Why are we still talking about Fatima 100 years later? It's an interesting thing that there have been all these Marian apparitions over the years, over the centuries, uh, some of which have been vetted and and deemed worthy of belief by the church, others of which have not got, even gotten to that point. But Fatima is one that certainly sticks in the sort of... Uh, cultural memory, you know, and it keeps coming back. You mentioned this film that's coming out. It's not the first film to be made about it. You know, there have been, there was a big Warner brothers uh, feature film in the fifties, oh, I think late fifties, maybe. Um, and there've been a number of them since then. Uh, it, it's just something that really has stuck around. And I think part of it is there are some really remarkable aspects of it that, that made it make it very appealing to to a broad audience things like uh we'll talk about this more in a little bit i'm sure but things like uh, the three so-called secrets of fatima or the the miracle of the sun you know where, where seventy thousand people witnessed this this incredible dancing of the sun in the sky you know things like that just really make it uh interesting and intriguing to people uh so and and it's and there's just, and there's been increased devotion to, to Our Lady of Fatima down, down through the years. And it's, it's just, it's really remarkable. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's amazing that I mean, the, 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 the widespread the devotion to Our Lady of Fatima is, you know, and I'm, I'm a convert, I'm a Catholic convert. And I was, I was always kind of, there was kind of a question mark hanging over my head. Like, you know, why, what is so remarkable about her? But I think, I think your book uh, makes it pretty clear. And so, but, so before we get there though, let's, I guess let's go back to the very beginning. Um, yeah. Can you set this? Uh, set the stage for us. So the, the apparition 
descriptions of Mary of Fatima the came in 1917. Uh, a little. Paul, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, you're breaking up there for a second, but I, but I think you're asking me about. Uh, uh, oh, what sorry. Was, what was, that's right. Let me. Yeah, I'll repeat my question. <laughs> okay. I, uh, I'm plugged into the internet, but I'm not sure what's what's going on. So, um, yeah, let's, let's go back to the very beginning and just set the stage for us. The apparitions of Mary at Fatima came in 1917 little rural, rural village in Portugal. What was going on in Portugal and Europe or in the world at that time in 1917? Yeah, so more broadly in the world, but you know, focused in, in Europe, the First World War was going on. It was, you know, it was three years in, the war was raging. Uh, society was you know, flipped upside down. And in Portugal in particular, there was there was a, a good deal of upheaval upheaval as well. You had this nation that was traditionally culturally very Catholic, uh, to the point that the uh, the monarchs of Portugal traditionally did not wear crowns because because Mary was the rightful sovereign over Portugal. So so she she was the sovereign. So they traditionally didn't even wear crowns. It was just it was just embedded into the into the culture of the country. But then in 1908. There was a, a sort of a, a revolution uh, where these uh, anti anti monarch, anti Catholic, anti clerical th this group came in, assassinated the king, and this uh, um, new government formed, and it was mm -hmm. and it was Masons that took over, and so and and then in 1911 they passed a, a law of a, a separation of church and state law, you know, and and they and things like. Um, Clerics were were not allowed to wear clerical garb in public, and and there were just all these measures against the church. So so even culturally, there was this upheaval in the country, uh, and and the big cities, it was more there was a lot more secularization going on. But you did have in little places like Fatima, these rural areas, the faith was able to continue. The people would continue to be very devout, although they feared. You know, government retribution and government uh, encroachment on their on their uh, liberties. So there was it was a it was a it was a tense and uh, dramatic moment uh, in in the world and in Europe and in Portugal. So Thomas, I don't know if you, I don't know if you can hear me, but uh, if, if you don't mind, I'll just I'll move on. I'll talk a little bit about the uh, the visionaries, these mm. these uh, children that Mary appeared to. You just said that the the little village, just like Fatima, and what was so? Yeah, like we got some technical difficulties. It looks like um, so. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about about. Uh, the visionaries in Fatima, there there were there were these little uh, hamlets, little groups of homes, uh, and in in one of them, there were these 
three children, among among others. There was uh, Lucia Santos and her two of her cousins, brother and sister, Francisco and Jacinta Marto. They were shepherds. They were very close. Uh, Lucia was the oldest, and then Francisco, and then Jacinta. Uh, just separated by a few years. Jacinta was about seven. Lucia was about eleven. Uh, and they they were kind of typical typical children in this town. They were shepherds. Uh, they were they could be emotional. Lucia was very mature for her age, very wise for her age, uh, and she was very popular among the other children in the town. And they uh, there was something about them that that drew people to them and and. For reasons unknown to us, um, they were chosen as as the recipients of these apparitions, these visits from Our Lady. Paul, oh, can you can you hear me now? I just want to confirm that you can yes. hear me. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, much, I jumped much in. And, I jumped in and jumped back. In. Yeah, jumped out and jumped back in. I, uh, I I should have imagined that something like this would happen. Uh, but the, <laughs> well, Paul, couldn't they have? Couldn't these kids have all been just making it up? Just making the whole thing up, yeah. You know, a lot of people thought that at the time. Actually, almost everybody thought that at the time. Francisco and and uh, Jacinta's father believed them implicitly, immediately. But just about everybody else in their families, and almost everybody else in the in the town, at first thought that they were making it up. They thought they thought they were doing it for attention or or just to play a prank or or something. Um, but one of the interesting things is. Uh, Francisco and Jacinta's father said they, they've never done anything like that before. Why would we expect that from them now? You know, they, they've been these honest, good children up until now. Why, why would we not believe them? And one of the, one of the things that I, that I think is that yeah, these, these people in this town were so devout that they had, they had such an understanding of the transcendence of, of God and of these miraculous things. But to the point that they thought nothing like that could happen here. This is a regular old town, you know. These are these are little shepherd children. Nothing like that could possibly happen here. So initially, there was, let's say, extreme skepticism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, so what what was their first encounter then with with our with the Lady of Fatima? What was it like? So the the first time, it was you know the it was more mysterious than than you might imagine even. They were out with their sheep and this lady appeared to them on top of a home oak tree. And the, the, this first part was kind of almost, almost a script that they followed through each of the successive appearances where uh, this lady appeared and Lucia, actually it's interesting, Francisco could see the lady but could not hear her. Jacinta could see her and hear her, but could not huh. speak to her. Huh. And Lucia could see her, hear her, and speak to her. So there's almost a hierarchy of, of <laughs> communication there. Uh, so, so Lucia was the one who was communicating with her. Huh. And she asked who she was. And the lady said, I come from heaven. That's all she said. She didn't identify herself beyond that. She said, I come from heaven. And when Lucia asked, okay, well, what do you want from us? And she said, I want you to pray the rosary every day, and I want you to come back here on the 13th of every month. So that was May 13th, 1917, the first time she appeared. 
whoever this lady was. And she said, come back here on the 13th of every month, pray the rosary every day, and, you know, make, make sacrifice, make reparation for sins. And, and they, uh, they, asked, they asked, asked some questions of her. Okay, you come from heaven, so, you know, can you, can you uh, are we going to go to heaven someday? It was one of the things they asked her. And, and she told them, yes, you will go to heaven. But Lucia, you will have to wait a long time. Francisco and Jacinta will go, will come soon. But Lucia, you will have to wait a long time. You'll have to do a, do a lot of work on earth for us. And then, and then she shortly thereafter disappeared. You mentioned, you used a phrase when you were describing that. You said, uh, whoever this, this lady, whoever this lady was, did, yeah. uh, did they, did these kids not know it was Mary? Did they, did they think it was Mary? They didn't know it was Mary. Uh, I think they, it's kind of unclear what they thought at first. I think that they maybe suspected it was possible, but she, she appeared to them very young. Um, I believe if memory serves, she looked, they said she looked like she was about 15. Um, This this young woman appearing to them, but they didn't know who she was for sure. So when they were talking amongst themselves or even eventually telling, telling people about it, um, they would refer to her as the lady or the lady, the beautiful lady from heaven, something like that. You know, variations on that. And then as, as word started to spread around, around their families and around the town, more and more people thought that this is who it could be. You know, they said, okay, who's, who's a lady in heaven that we know who, who might, who might appear to somebody? Well, maybe it's, maybe it's our blessed mother, you know? Everybody, just to remind you, we're talking to Paul Sands, author of Fatima, 100 Questions and Answers about the Marian Apparitions. And Paul, you just described um, kind of the, the, the innocent reaction of the kids to the, uh, to, to the, to the visionaries of Mary, to, the, to the, the, the first apparition. They didn't quite, yeah. they didn't assume it was Mary. They, they, in their humility, they just assumed, you know, it was just a beautiful, this beautiful lady from heaven. They knew she was from heaven because she told yeah. them that they didn't jump to conclusions. Um, and then they, but then word got around to, word got around to, to the village. Um, and my question is, how did the village initially react? Yeah, the village, I would say the village as a whole, there was, I mean, there were, there was varied reactions. On the whole, I would say skepticism ruled, but there were those who were everything from intrigued to credulous, you know, to, to people who, who just believed them. Uh, but they were pretty quickly people from, from the village. And then as word slowly seeped out, people from even further afield started showing up at their homes, you know, saying, this lady from heaven is appearing to you. Would you ask her this favor for me? Mm. You know, there's the communion of saints right there, right? <laughs> would you, yeah. would you please ask, would you please ask for this favor for me? You know, my, my son is fighting in the war. Would you ask to keep him safe? Or, or my daughter has this, has, uh, you know, can't walk. Would you please ask for her to be healed? Whatever it was. And then, so initially there was, there was pretty severe skepticism, but it started kind of slowly but surely as the months went on. More and more people believed in. Hmm. Yeah, you mentioned earlier that um, you know they were told to go back on the thirteenth of each month to go see this lady again. Yeah, and the lady we know a lot of these. I know now that I've read this book, I know that the lady <laughs> appeared to them every time, um, yeah. just as she said, at least when they were able to go, when they weren't prevented. 
Yeah. When they would go, what sort of things would they see and hear typically when they would they would go see the lady on the thirteenth of each mm -hmm. month? Was it was it something different each time? Was it always basically the same? Well, there were there were certain things that were kind of standard. I think I mentioned that that they would the, each apparition would open up in sort of a typical way, where she would appear, and Lucy would say, "Say what? What do you want us to do? Or what do you want from us? Something like something to that effect." And she would say, "I want you to come back on the thirteenth of every month." And I want you to pray the rosary. And then sometimes she would add something like um, pray, pray to uh, our, our lady of peace that the war will come to an end. Or she started emphasizing uh, sacrifices and offering up your sufferings for reparation for, for sins. Um, and then in, in particular, July, so the third apparition in July, and the last one in October had pretty profound differences. July was these these visions that were given to the children that later came to be known as those, those three secrets of Fatima. And then October was the, the miracle of the sun. Well, so these, as time went on, I assume mass, bigger and bigger crowds began to come to these apparitions, yeah, they came to come to these events. And word just spread farther and farther, as you mentioned earlier. Um, it began in the village, but then it, it reached the, you know, the larger countryside and then really the whole nation uh, yeah. through the newspapers. How did these crowds act at the, at the apparitions? Why were they there? Again, same with the, with the village. There was, there was a wide variety of, of people there and, and, and a different sort of reactions and attitudes. There, as the crowds grew bigger, I mean, I think, I think by July... There were four thousand people who joined them at the at the apparition site, and by October there were seventy thousand. I mean, these, these crowds were just were just exploding. Mm. As the crowds grew bigger, there was kind of almost almost camps forming. I would say, you know, you had you had some people who were there because they believed and they were hoping to see something themselves or just be a part of it. There were people there who were skeptical but thought it was possible. And wanted to see if there was anything there that could verify one way or the other for them. And then there were people there who went strictly to mock them, you know, there were people, there were people who went with the uh, express purpose of, of ridiculing the children or, or getting the, the others in the crowd to see the, you know, the error of their ways and, and stop believing these silly children and just move on with their lives. Uh, uh, and even, uh, Later on, there were also, I mean, there were government officials, this, this Masonic government who was, who was hoping that this thing would fall apart and, these, and, and this, these religious fanatics would see the error of their ways and, and even turn against the children. You know, I mean, you've got these huge groups at the apparition site. So there were some pretty disparate passions present. Yeah, and, and I see that we actually have a, we have a question from the, from a, from a viewer or a listener, I like. I think we'll get to it later on. Um, we're going to talk more about your own personal investment in this book, the the process of writing it. Um, so yeah. I'll respond to Quinn uh, shortly. But the uh, you mentioned you were talking about the, just now about the, the government authorities and their sort of hostile reaction. Mm -hmm. Can you give an example, a particular example of how this manifested itself? Yeah, I would say the clearest example would be, uh, well. 103 years ago, <laughs> this you know, this week, in the August, uh, the, the anticipated August apparition for August 13th, the 
local government officials who were receiving a lot of pressure from the national, you know, federal uh, officials there to kind of quash this, this religious disturbance that was, that was cropping up in Fatima. They actually, uh, under the guise of giving the children a ride from their homes to the apparition site, essentially kidnapped them and took mm-hmm. them, took them mm-hmm. to uh, the, the government seat town, uh, you know, miles away, held them there for, I think it was two nights and, and they interrogated the children, threatened them. They, my understanding is that they didn't actually intend to kill the children, but they thought these are young kids. We can scare them into admitting that this is all a hoax because of course mm-hmm. these, these anti-Catholic atheistic uh, Masonic government officials are certain that it's a hoax. Right. They're sure. It's causing problems. So they say, okay, we're going to tell these children that if they don't admit it's a hoax, we'll boil them in oil till they're dead. Oh my goodness. And, and the children, they were terrified, but they didn't, they didn't recant. They said, you know, what can we do? And they, they kind of kept each other strong. Uh, and they, as a matter of fact, they were, one of the nights they were held in prison with some, you know, pretty dangerous offenders, but there are these young, sweet children and there are, there are stories about how that night the prisoners were consoling the children, you know, and they were, they were uh, dancing with them and singing songs with them. And even when the children uh, got down to pray the rosary, a lot of the prisoners joined them. Wow. You know, so, so even, even their kidnapping and imprisonment had this profoundly positive effect on these, on these criminals. Wow. These, it, these, these men. Even the, the prisoners knew what the government officials didn't. So right. I knew these kids. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I want to pass Paul to the uh, to maybe the most controversial aspect of uh, the Fatima apparitions. Um, that would be the three secrets. So this is the yeah. term we Catholics hear fairly often, even today, and usually it's regarding in, in the context of some sort of controversy regarding these yeah. three secrets. But it's still it's usually unclear what these secrets even were. Even we. Um, so, Paul, what were, they, were they prophecies? Were they visions of the future? Were they just these hidden facts that Mary revealed about reality? What, what were these secrets? Well, it's sort of a combination of all those things. So the, the first two don't get as much attention, so, but, I, but I'll kind of mention those. Um, the, the first vision, I mean, the first secret, excuse me, was a vision the children received of hell. It was, it was a... I mean, so when you picture a stereotypical vision of hell, you know how it would be depicted in in movies or in you know Paradise Lost or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the that's what the children saw. There was you know this lake of fire and and demons torturing souls and 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 these tortured souls being fl- flung around by smoke and flames and screams of agony. And they were they were horrified. It was it was a vision they were seeing, but people who were in the crowd at the time reported, you know, they they couldn't see what was happening, but they could see the 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 reaction that it was eliciting in the children. Um, and the point of that, I mean, these, these children didn't need to be scared straight. They had already been assured that they were going to heaven, but they they were shown this vision so that they would know what would happen if the world didn't change its ways basically and so our lady imploring them to say i'm showing you 
so that you can tell the world and so that you can ask them, you know, ask the world to change its heart, to seek, to seek God and to seek truth and goodness, you know. Well, what about the second secret? The second secret was um, a little less dramatic, but it was, it was, um, our lady talked about, um, she talked a little bit about, that was more, um, almost prophetic, I would say. Yeah. She was talking about the, um, the war and how the war would end soon, but that if the world did not change its ways an even worse war consuming the world would come before too long. And she even referred to the, the, uh, that it would come during the pontificate of Pius XI, which is interesting because you know, there was no such Pope as Pius XI at the time. Benedict XV was the Pope. He would, he would be followed several years later by Pius XI, but yeah. at the time nobody had ever heard of such a Pope. Um, and yeah, so that, so the, the second secret was more, more of that, more of a, a given context and a warning. Huh. And, then, and how about this? How about the famous, the famous third secret? The third secret, unlike the first two, the third secret was a, a vision, without Our Lady's, you know, commentary and narration. It was just a vision where the symbols were speaking for themselves. The children saw this vision of a steep mountain being ascended by a bishop in white, who they. Uh, you know, discerned was probably the Pope mm-hmm. along with other bishops and priests, clergy and other, and other people. And he, they're, they're ascending this mountain that has a large cross at the top. And when they get near the top of the mountain, they're walking through a destroyed town with, you know, just devastate devastation everywhere, dead bodies. And as they're going through they're they're, they're praying for the souls of, the, of these people who have died. Then the group is, attacked by a group of soldiers who kill this bishop in white and um, excuse me and the uh, children would eventually well eventually Lucy I should say eventually determined that uh, this was prophetic and she saw a kind of a fulfillment of this prophecy in the assassination attempt on John Paul II mm. um, and even at while while John Paul II was in the hospital recovering from that assassination attempt, he asked to have this still secret, third secret, that had been, he was stilled in an envelope, brought to him so he could read it. And he apparently saw himself in that, in that uh, vision as well, because he decided, he decided to not reveal it publicly yet, but, oh, what, almost 20 years later, he, he did. And, and it was... It's pretty broadly accepted that that uh, the vision was was prophetic, and even I should mention the assassination attempt took place on May thirteenth, which was the anniversary of the first apparition, Amazing. and and he always saw that as important. He even credit credits Our Lady of Fatima with physically intervening and moving, adjusting the path of the bullet so that it wouldn't kill him. Yeah. Well, another uh, extremely fascinating aspect of the, the Fatima apparitions. Um, is the miracle of the sun. Now, can you, can you just briefly describe the miracle of the sun? What happened? How many people were there? What did they see? Yeah. So this would be at the final apparition on October 13th. In July, at the 
the same apparition where the, th- where the three secrets were given to the children, they asked for the lady to tell them who she was and to give some sign to, to the people so that everyone would believe them. And she said, I will do both those things in October. The last time I, I appear to you, I'll tell you who I am and I will give you a sign. And by this time, as I said, word had spread far and wide. There were somewhere around 70,000 people there in this, in this field, this, you know, on this farmland, grazing land for the sheep. And it had been raining all night and all morning. Everything was soaked with sopping mud. Everybody was drenched. And this miracle of the sun, so-called, is, is given to the people where... At the end of the at the end of this apparition, after Lucia's you know conversation with Our Lady, she kind of pointed to the sun, indicated the sun, and there are, there are various reports from from different people about some different things that happened to the sun. People say that it started <clears throat> visibly revolving rapidly, you know, just, just spinning very rapidly, that it was changing color, and that even the, the light that it was casting on the ground, everything was changing color. But the main thing that, that basically everybody agrees upon and, and, and reports is that it seemed to kind of zigzag around in the sky, dance around in the sky. And I mean, for, I think, I think we're talking like 10 minutes and then it, and then it appeared to fall from the sky, come crashing towards the earth. People were, these people were screaming. Uh, they were, they were, uh, loudly confessing their sins in the hopes of some, some kind of, uh, uh, you know, absolution because they were sure that it was the end. When someone's crashing to the earth, everything's going to end. And then it was over. The sun, of course, did not crash to the earth, but everything was bone dry. Huh. One, one, one of those kind of little quirks about it. It had, it had been raining all night. Everything was soaking wet, but all of a sudden everything was dry. Huh. And then this, this crowd was full of, there were government officials, there were, there were uh, atheist uh, newspaper reporters. There were skeptics. There were critics. There were believers. Everybody was that you can imagine was in this crowd, but they all reported the same thing. Mm. I mean, there were there, these secular newspapers had stories talking about the way that the sun behaved, you know, this strange way that the sun behaved during, during this during this apparition, and they they said they couldn't explain it, but that that's what happened. And one of the remarkable things about it that I that I hadn't realized until I was researching and writing this book is that there are also reports from people 25, 30 miles away who are not even at the site who reported seeing something like that. I think that's interesting because I read a description of the miracle that it, it was not it was not a physical miracle that was performed. In other words, the sun the sun did not actually physically move around like that. You know, it, it it didn't affect the rest of the solar system. People all over the world didn't see that. You know, the, the the heat that would have been generated from the sun actually coming that close to the earth, but that it was a miracle manifested for those individuals, but including some of these folks yeah. further afield. You know, 20, like I said, 25, 30 miles away. I, I read one report that was a, a British officer on a on a ship off the coast who who wrote, wrote a letter to his family reporting that he had seen something like this. Incredible. And I mean, it's just, it's just incredible when you have such, such wide agreement, especially across 
a spectrum of of belief that i mean there's no way it was a, a hoax or a mass hallucination or something like that yeah i mean well there's so much that's amazing about the about these these apparitions and there's so much that just speaks to its historical veracity um yes yeah. rather incredible and uh but i'd like to pass to your own involvement and in, uh with these apparitions in a certain sense, the writing of this book. And actually yeah. one of our viewers, Quinn Cohen, uh, um, posed a really good question, which is what about the apparitions of Fatima have you, Paul, personally experienced to be the most moving? Yeah. Ever since I was a kid, I was interested in Fatima. Uh, I had I had this this little book that I actually, I mean, I read it to my kids once in a while now. I still have it. That was on Fatima apparitions. But I didn't really fully grasp it, you know, until I was writing this book and especially learning it so young, it was almost like white noise. You know, I'd heard it, I heard mm -hmm. it so much. I was so familiar with it that the details got lost and the, and the, 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 some of the incredible aspects of it just kind of were lost on me until I was digging into it again for this book. And one of the things that really struck me the most was actually not from the six apparitions of Our Lady, but from more of the surrounding context. Several months before Our Lady first appeared to the children, uh, an angel appeared to them a few times, and he called himself the Angel of Peace and the Angel of Portugal. And during one of these appearances, he appeared uh, holding holding a host, and and there was a chalice. And blood was dripping from the host down into the chalice. Lucia had received her first communion at that point, even she had received it young, because because the the priest was so impressed by her by her knowledge and and her faith that that she was approved to receive it younger than everybody else. But Francisco and Jacinta had not received their first communion yet. But this angel, he left the the host and chalice kind of stayed suspended in the air, and he knelt down with the children, and adored the blessed sacrament that he had brought with him. And he then gave Lucia, the host, and Francisco and Jacinta received from the, from the chalice. So their first communion, Francisco and Jacinta's first communion was from an angel who, who hmm. brought it, who brought the blessed sacrament with him, you know? Hmm. Um, and it's, with, with that in mind, uh, looking at the fact that Francisco, so Francisco and Jacinta, I think I mentioned that, that Our Lady said they were going to go to heaven fairly soon. And uh, in uh, uh, 1919, just a few months, a few months apart, Francisco and Jacinta both died from the Spanish flu oh, after, after suffering with it for months and months and months. But before he died, Francisco was able to receive his first communion, you know, temporally, <laughs> you know, physically. Um, but Jacinta, she had this remarkable experience with the angel of Portugal. But then the, the day that she was going to die, she received um, absolution from the priest and I think anointing of the sick. And she asked to receive the Eucharist as viaticum. He said, he said, yes, but don't worry, I'll bring it back in the morning. And she said, please, I'm going to die tonight. 
know, please give me vitamin. He said, it's, it's fine. Don't worry. You're not going to die. I'll bring it in the morning. And she died that night. So she, she never even received wow. you know, a, phys- a physical host, host from the priests. Never received her first communion in that sense. But, but you know, I, I like to think that, that knowing that that would be the case, she was, she was blessed with uh, this uh, reception ahead of time. That's beautiful. And, and she was, and she was uh, warned, I mean, she was visited by Our Lady several times when she was in the hospital. And, and, and Our Lady told her that you're going to die tonight. And you're gonna you're gonna come home. We're, we're gonna you're gonna be with you're gonna be with me and, and our Lord. And she, she was able to have that consolation. It's beautiful. Paul's book, Fatima: Hundred uh, Hundred Questions and Answers about the Marian apparitions. Clearly, this book is meant to teach the ignorant like me uh, about these strange and beautiful apparitions, which you've described so wonderfully here in this interview. Um, but Paul, do you think that people who already know a good deal about Fatima, like probably a lot of Catholics, not me, but a lot of Catholics, <laughs> do you think they can benefit from it as well? I think so. I mean, I I thought I knew a lot about Fatima, but then writing the book, there was I learned a lot, especially context-wise. You know, maybe I, maybe I knew about that there were six appearances, six apparitions, I knew about the secrets a little bit. I knew about the miracle of the sun, but I didn't understand what was going on in Portugal at the time that really kind of, it helps to emphasize the message our lady was trying to communicate this, this message of hope and the message that we need to make reparation for our sins and that God wants devotion to her immaculate heart so that, so that, the world can change its ways. You know, there, there were these, these demonic forces in the world, communism, you know, there's Masonic governments. Uh, Nazism was, was soon to come roaring forward, uh, not to mention so many other horrors throughout the 20th century. And knowing all of that helps to really hammer at home the message she was trying to, trying to send. Yes. So yeah, I think I think that there's a lot that anybody could could learn from this book. Well, I agree, um, and it was uh, it's, it was really one of, one of the really remarkable things about this book, which again I'll say again is Fatima: Hundred Questions and Answers about the Marian Apparitions. Is uh, it has simultaneously great depth and great simplicity. I mean, it's it's easy to read. It's um, I would say that it's it's written for it. There's it's not academic, but yet, uh, yet very much imbued with deep research. You know, I think it, um, you're really reaching a broad audience, and I, I really encourage uh, all our viewers to to buy a copy. Now, before we before we leave, um, finish this great interview. Um, do you think this book might be useful for like, group studies, family, for families, for the classroom? I think so, especially because of the question and answer format. And it's, it's my, my hope was to try to make it very approachable, you know, these little bite-sized little nuggets. But also, I mean, if there's, if there's, if there are people who want to only do a study on the apparitions and not focus too much on the context or people who, who are really more interested in just the three secrets or are curious about that, they can just focus on that for a group study or, or if there's a family who wants to, who wants to, uh, Focus on how these children, these visionaries, can be examples for uh, children today to live holy lives in, in, in the face of 
of so much uh, opposition to the faith, then they could focus on that, you know? So mm-hmm. that, that's, that's kind of my hope is that the question and answer format will allow people to navigate it. However, it would be helpful for them. That's great. And Paul, can you tell us where our viewers can buy this book? Yeah, I would say go to Ignatius.com. And there are, there are even, um, speaking of group studies and things, there are even bulk pricing available. You know, there, there are several discounts uh, as you go up in, in quantities. So I'd recommend that too, if you're, if anybody wants to do group studies or anything like that. <laughs> Excellent. And Paul, are there any last remarks you'd like to make before we say goodbye? Just, I would, I would recommend reading the book and praying the rosary, <laughs> you know, our, our lady, our lady is here for us. She wants to take care of us. She wants to lead us to her son. So have at it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Paul, it's been such a pleasure talking with you as always. And uh, thank you so much for writing this book, Fatima, 100 Questions and Answers about the Marian Apparitions with a foreword by Dr. Edward Sri. Um, thank you everybody for joining us, for listening to this uh, technically challenged interview at the beginning. Uh, I'm glad we were able to resolve that. Um, thank you. Please join us next week for another interview. Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by Ignatius Press. We encourage you to check out our books and videos at your local Catholic bookstore or wherever else books and videos are sold. You can also sign up to receive special discounts on books and videos at ignatius.com. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like the podcast on the website or app from which you listen to it. And please tell your friends about it. I'm Mark Brumley, and on behalf of everyone at Ignatius Press, thanks for listening.